Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about recipes, so stay tuned. So I should probably start with an update. What have I been up to this past week? Well... I have some big news. I finally finished up the uh, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals e-course. That's live. I went two different directions with it. So you could rent it or you could buy it. And I, I wanted to be able to reach a, a larger audience. I know a lot of cooks out there, maybe um, sous chefs out there, I wanted to make it more accessible to them. So you could rent it for $8 or you could buy it for $48. So you rent it. You know, you could watch it. I think you have 70 hours before you got to complete the video. Um, but if you if you want to own it, you could buy it for $48. You could take it anywhere with you. Um, the link is in my bio um, if that's something that you want to do. On that video, I cover everything from food cost, management. Basically, basically it's, it's about a, an hour and 15 minutes of everything you need to know to be an executive chef crash course. I also wrapped up the Culinary Leadership Fundamentals audiobook. And that's been submitted. I submitted it on um, December 13th. It could take up to 10 days for Audible to approve, assuming there's no glitches or errors in the audiobook. Should be out by next week. I'll announce it on, on all social platforms when, it, when it's live. So for those of you that have been asking, the audiobook is done. It, it took me a while, longer than I thought, but the audiobook is done. Um, hopefully it'll be out next week before Christmas, but I think you all will enjoy it. I worked long and hard on that project with the um, narrator, Gabriel Corrette. So excited to bring you that. And then starting in January, we will be working on the audio book for the Line Cook Survival Manual. So that, that'll be next. And I'm still unsure if I want to write an, a fourth book. You know, I talked about writing something, uh, you know, to pay tribute to the chefs that I've worked for, but still unsure. Uh, let me know if that's something that you want to read. If it is, maybe I'll start writing it. Anyway, something funny happened this week, and that was a chef friend of mine called me up, and uh, he had a, a catering gig, and he couldn't do it. He was he was busy and he was double booked, and so he called me up and said, "Hey, do you want to you want to do a catering project for me?" And I thought about it. I was like, ha, "No, I'll, let me see if I know any chefs. I don't feel like, um, you know, working a private event." But nonetheless, I couldn't find any chefs, so I said, "Well, screw it. I haven't cooked in a long time. I'll do it." So. Uh, you know, one of one of my former chefs and I, we we got together and we went and cooked this uh, five course meal, and uh, boy, was I rusty. But anyway, the food came out good. I was sore the next day. I haven't I haven't uh, you know worked as a professional chef in a long time, and catering at someone's house is not something I, I typically enjoy doing. But it was fun. I had fun doing it. It was fun to be back in the kitchen, and it does tie into this episode because. As I was going through dishes that I wanted to make, I needed recipes, and I couldn't remember how to make everything off the top of my head, so I did need to dig into my, my book of recipes. And it's amazing how quickly skills erode, and I know I've, I've talked about this on, I think on the last podcast, I talked about how if you don't keep your skills sharp, you start to lose them pretty quick. And I'll say that the last thing to go for a chef is their palate. Like everything I made still tasted good. Like the last thing to go when you've been out of the kitchen for a while will be your palate. But the first thing to go is your back. You know, after, after a couple of hours standing up, I was like, holy shit, my back hurts. My feet hurt. 
Anyway, it, I, I knocked it uh, out of the park. It was a great catering. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. It was fun. I had a lot of fun doing it. And um, let's get into recipes. So I did a poll today on Instagram, and I said, what do you guys want me to talk about today? Culinary competitions, recipes, or Q&A? So recipes, it came, it, you know, it was, it was close. It was culinary competition uh, recipes with Q&A just slightly behind it. But recipes ultimately won. And, I, you know, you guys were voting for recipes. I'm not even sure if you know what I was going to talk about with regards to recipes, but... I'll get into it. So I want to be able to steel man the, the case on both sides for recipes and against recipes. And I'll start with this. I have two, two friends that are extremely successful chefs that run you know, restaurants uh, that are household names, two of the best restaurants in the world, but I, I don't want to use my chef's names without, without their permission. Anyway, both of these chefs are amazing. Both of these chefs are highly successful, and both of these chefs run some of the best restaurants in the world. One of these chefs is a big believer in recipes. Everything is followed to the gram, and the other chef freestyles it. No recipes. Everyone knows how to cook. They kind of get the idea. They understand the system. They have guidelines, but no recipes. So it's interesting to note that you could have two very successful restaurants and chefs on both ends of the spectrum, and there's a strong argument to be made on both sides. Now, when I was a chef coming up in culinary school, when I didn't know how to cook, I, I followed recipes like, you know, and back then it was like cups and spoons. So I followed recipes to the T. You know, someone would give me a recipe, I would follow it. And if it wasn't in the recipe, in my mind back then, it wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to adjust it. Everything was pretty much measured with the exception of salt and pepper. If you all remember, everything said salt and pepper, TT, salt and pepper to taste. That was always the, you know, the standard format in most recipes that were written. But as I started to grow as a chef and my skills progressed... I started to move into, I understand how to cook intuitively. I cook based off taste. I understand how something's supposed to taste. I understand how to make it taste good. I taste it, I season it, I adjust, I taste it, I season it, I adjust. And at the end of the day, boom, here's something delicious for the guests to, to enjoy. And that worked out great for me. So I went through a period in my career where there was no recipes. I would, you know, kind of design the dish. And, and you know, some of, my, some of my chefs that used to work for me would get so annoyed with me because they're like, can you just give me a straight answer? I was like, well, today it needs this. They're like, but yesterday you said it needed that. I was like, well, yesterday it did need that, but today it needs this. And I lived in this gray area of trying to teach them how to cook intuitively, you know, using their, their senses, what I like to call uh, the chef force. So if you're familiar with Star Wars, you know how they use the the force, like this, uh, you know, this Jedi magic. Well, anyway, I, I call it the chef force. It's like your intuition to know how to do shit in the kitchen intuitively. Like, you know, the chicken's done, but you, you didn't take the temp. You didn't touch it. You just know, like, based on my intuition, that tells me that chicken's done just by looking at it. You know, you'd smell a pot and you're like, this needs this. And like, how do you know you didn't taste it? I said, trust me, you know, chef force. So I used to joke around and say I had the chef force. So a lot of what I used to do, you know, probably for the middle part of my career was no recipes. And then towards the end, um, I would say probably in about 2013, there was a moment where I had this 
uh, one of my one of my chefs that used to work for me, he had also worked for Michael Mina. And he showed me the system that Michael Mina uses where they had all these recipes and it was documented. It was on this um, uh, computer intranet that they had that they were able to share ideas. And I thought it was brilliant. And if you've ever worked for the Michael Mina group, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think they have probably the most brilliant recipe uh, system categorized that, I, that I've ever seen. So after I saw this, you know, kind of my, my brain exploded. I was like, I need to do that. that. That seems to be the way. And also at that time, I had discovered this website, chefsteps.com. If you're not familiar with it, it's, it's a really great website. And they put up a video that was um, the difference between uh, weight measure and um, cups and spoons. And it's, it's a really good breakdown. And you could watch the video and, you know, obviously you start to understand, okay, everything needs to be done by the gram versus cups and ounces. It's just more practical. And the way that they had all their recipes always listed out by grams, it made me recalibrate how I thought about recipes and moving more towards everything having an exact recipe. And so I moved towards recipes in the latter half of my career. And I would say in my very last job before I you know, stepped away from being a chef, it was the recipe is the recipe is the recipe. You did not change it. Uh, you might need to adjust for taste and that would be, you know, salt, uh, acid, heat, something like that but you don't adjust the recipe. You try and keep it as true to the recipe as possible with some slight deviation. So towards the latter half of my career, I was a firm believer in recipes. But anyway, let's steel man the case on both sides. Let's First, let's start out with why you need recipes. So I'll, I'll tell you this. Now, at the end of the day, you guys need to decide. It's your kitchen. I'm going to present both sides of the argument as to why you need recipes or why you don't need recipes. But let me start out with why I believe that you do need recipes. And as a head chef, if you want to build a consistent restaurant and you want guests to come back and experience the same thing over and over again based on your vision, then you need to have that documented somewhere so people understand how to prepare it. The argument could be made that something needs to be made per taste. And the cook's taste should be the, the metric on which recipes are measured on. But the problem with that becomes that your palate as a chef that's been doing it for X amount of time versus an entry-level cook's palate who's fresh out of culinary school or maybe it's their first job are completely different, right? A cook hasn't fully developed their palate yet in the, in the beginning of their career as much as a mature chef. And I'll give you some examples of things that when I say this, you'll, you'll know. If you've been cooking long enough, you'll know these, these tastes. And one is the flavor of a scorched pot. You know, when you're cooking something over the heat and it was too hot and you forgot to stir it and it scorched the bottom and then you taste it and you're like, what's that taste? Oh, it's scorched pot. Like that flavor is unforgettable. Or another one is rancid nuts. When nuts go rancid, they have a, an off flavor, rancid oil or fryer oil that's too old, right? All these things have a very unique, specific flavor that, you know, you could... You could taste it and you're like, oh, this went wrong in the, in the process. And the reason I bring that up is because many times throughout my career, I've had people bring me things and say, taste this. And I'll taste it and I'll say, you scorched the pot. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? Taste fine. It's like, nope, you scorched the pot. And then they check it. They're like, oh, I did scorch the pot. How did you know? I was like, well, because I know what scorched pot tastes like. I've scorched pots. Or I'll taste something made with nuts and I'll say the nuts are rancid. And they'll be like, really? I didn't notice. I'll be like, yep, your nuts are rancid. Now, 
That is because I've developed my palate. So, and again, I'm, I'm speaking about ingredients, but this should reinforce the fact that just assuming you're leaving it up to someone's taste, you, you really can't do that. You, you have to have some guidelines for people to follow when it comes to recipes. Now, from a business standpoint, recipes are good business practices because everything will be costed on the recipe. Everything's measured. And assuming that you're costing your recipes and measuring them correctly, it gives you a better understanding of what your food cost is or what your theoretical food cost is. So it's, 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 it's a good business practice to have recipes and it's a good business practice to also have, to have those recipes costed. On top of that, again, we're talking about cooks developing their palate. When you give them recipes, then you say, okay, make the recipe, now taste it. Okay, now make the recipe again, now taste it. And after they've done that multiple times, they'll understand, okay, I've made the recipe exactly multiple times, but there's some, there's some nuance within the recipe. What changed? Well, what changed is, you know, what type of oil we're using? What type of uh, produce we're using? Was it in season? Was it not? Was it fresh? Was, it, was the product rancid? So a lot of these things, then you start to understand the subtle variance between the recipe over the course of time. So having recipes in place also helps train the cook on how to build something. Whenever I'm writing recipes now, uh, my recommendation is I always go in, in kilos and grams. It's much more specific. So all the cooks that work for me, um, part of their uniform or toolkit was to always bring a digital scale because all our recipes were written in grams. Um, and then the kitchen also had heavy-duty digital scales. So if you need to make something in bulk, you know, we'd have digital scales for that. But I, I recommend doing that, getting out of cups and ounces. Like I said, go watch the Chef Steps video. They do a great job of breaking down why you should use um, ounces I'm sorry, why you should use grams and kilos versus ounces and cups and spoons and things like that. I don't use that and I haven't used it um, for more than almost 15 years. I don't think I've used that. So now you have a firm understanding of parameters. You're able to hold people accountable when something's wrong. I've made recipes throughout my career dozens of times and then someone will present that recipe to me and I'll say, it's wrong. I'm just looking at it. I'm like, that recipe's wrong. They're like, how do you know? It's like, I fucking know because I've made it a hundred times. That's how I know because it's my recipe. I know it's wrong. I could look at it and know that something's different about it. So recipes do allow you to have accountability. And then the last point I'll make when it comes to recipes is that if someone doesn't understand the type of cuisine, and in my case, I've worked with a lot of culinarians that have come from international and so they may be from India or they're from the Philippines or they're from wherever. And so I'm introducing them to flavors that are completely foreign to them. And if I say, just make it taste good, I, I don't know if their frame of reference is what it's supposed to be like. That would be like, you know, if I, if I went to a foreign country and they said, make this, you know, it kind of is like this. I'm like, I have no frame of reference of how that's supposed to taste. I don't understand the heat levels. I don't understand the acid levels, et cetera. So I could be making something completely wrong and then they come up to me and say it's completely wrong. So recipes provide good structure. So anyway, that's my steel man case for recipes. Now what I want to do is I want to steel man the case for no recipes. If you work in a place where creativity is paramount and there's a lot of restaurants out there that their, their menu evolves, right? The chef is freestyle and they're creative. They're cooking on the fly. Today, at the end of the day, we look at what we have and we create a new menu tomorrow based on the ingredients that we have. Everyone's cooking at a very high level. Everyone understands how to cook. 
and you start to develop a certain level of confidence in the system. For those places, I, I'm not sure if you truly need recipes because you might have some systems in place that we know here, this is how we do it. So if I say do this, this, and this, you know exactly what I'm talking about because we've worked together for years and we're all developing the same flavors because we have the same frame of reference because we have a good team that's been working together. Also, when you're working in places that the, the skill level is very high and people could cook intuitively, you know, they could just taste something and be like, nope, add this, add that. And I, I've talked about this before, at least maybe not on the podcast, but I know I've talked about this maybe on social media is the way I look at flavor and salt and acid is whenever I would do a tasting with chefs, I would say, think about uh, seasoning as the dial on a radio. So the volume dial, and it would be, if it's too loud, you can't hear the song. It's, it's almost, you know, obnoxious. It's so loud. It's obnoxious. You can't hear it. And if it's too low, you can't, you can't hear it. So you can't even enjoy it. And there's a sweet spot on the volume where you're going to enjoy it. And I would teach cooks like there's flavor enhancers. So it'd be like salt is like the, the dial. So you adjust the seasoning, you're turning up the music. If it's too salty, that's like having the volume all the way up. If there's no salt, it's like having the volume all the way down. So finding that sweet spot of salt, of acid, of heat, etc. So learning how to balance those flavors. And when chefs would bring me uh, dishes to taste and say, chef, what do you think about this? I'd say, okay, the salt's like a seven, turn it down to a six, or let's punch up the acid. It's right now, so it's a six, let's take it up to an eight, whatever the case may be. And you start to develop your palate and a developed palate, I will say, might be one of the most important things. You know, I kind of joked around that the last thing to go for a chef is their palate. And a developed palate might be one of the most important things a chef can can develop on their own because, you know, all the skills that you get, you know, braise, saute, et cetera, et cetera. Like you can have all those skills, but it doesn't mean your food's going to taste good, right? You could, you, could, you could know how to cut very well and you could know how to braise very well, but it does not mean that the food is going to taste good. But if you have a good palate, you understand, add a little of this, take this away. You understand how to combine flavors and you understand the nuance of adding this will lift that up. You start to also build flavor memories in your mind if you try a lot of food and you have a lot of experience tasting things. When you have this, um, like this database, this data bank of flavor memories in your mind, when you start to create dishes, you start to say, oh, this will taste good with that. And have you tried it before? No, I have not, but I know intuitively that this will taste good together. An argument um, can be made that a chef doesn't need to be the best cook in the kitchen, but they need to be the best taster and have the most refined palate because they should be able to taste things, especially, you know, in a larger operation. You know, if you think of a chef that might have four or five restaurants, the truth is they're not behind the line probably ever, but they're meeting with their chef de cuisines and they're saying, okay, let me taste this, let me taste that, you know, adjust this, that, the other. They're able to adjust the, the dishes that are being put forward based on their experience and their refined palate and the fact that they're exposed to so much um, where you know maybe those chef de cuisines of those restaurants are so hyper focused just on what they're doing, uh, you know they can't see the forest through the through the trees. So, having a very refined palate is very important for a chef, and the only way that you're going to be able to do that is by tasting everything. So, a case can be made that you don't need recipes if you're working in the environment where you're constantly developing and refining your palate, 
and you have a strong team around you where there's minimal mistakes. Of course, there's always going to be mistakes even if you do have recipes. But um, if you have a strong team around you, you might not need as many recipes because everyone understands what the other person is thinking when they say do this you know if i if i go to like i did like i said i did this catering uh with one of my chefs that i've known for you know over 13 14 years and if i said hey do this he knows exactly what i mean i don't need to explain it to him i say hey can you make a cauliflower puree and he's like yep i got it because we've made it together so many times i don't need to hand him a recipe but as I was saying, I was doing this uh, catering event and I couldn't remember something. I was like, I want to make this recipe and I couldn't remember exactly what it was. And I was like, okay, let me, let me uh, stop and let me look up uh, my old recipe database because I want to make sure it was accurate and it tasted good. So like I said, an argument could be made either way. Um, but if I had to choose, I would say I would err on the side of recipes. I, I do think recipes are important. And I think, like I said, if you want to have a kitchen that is... Um, responsible in terms of profit margins and cost. You need to know what your recipes are and you need to understand how much they cost. And if you want to minimize the amount of mistakes, and if you have a large operation, the last kitchen I had, you know, it was like 120 employees. So I couldn't just trust everyone to just make everything to my palate because they were from all over the world and they had all different levels of cooking experience. So having recipes established guidelines and parameters to minimize uh, the amount of error and deviation away from what I wanted. So an argument could be made either way. The larger the operation, I think the more important the recipes. The smaller the operation, the smaller the team, maybe it's not as important. In like also in a lot of catering operations, you know, the menu changes so much, you know, day to day, maybe you don't need recipes. But again, fact of the matter is it's not my kitchen, it's your kitchen. And whatever your chef says is right, assuming that you're not the chef. If you are the chef, whatever you say is right. It doesn't matter what I say, it's what you think. I'm just pleading my case, and I, I'm, I want to make sure I'm able to steel man both sides of the argument. But it was interesting. So I put up a poll, and I asked the question. I said, chefs, do you all use recipes? And this was a couple of weeks back. And uh, it was interesting because I, I didn't realize that people were so passionate one side or the other. And that's actually why I put up the poll because, um, you know, sometimes in my world, I live in an echo chamber, meaning that uh, everyone that I talk to always – has the same ideas and kind of thinks the same. We all, we all have the same beliefs when it comes to how kitchens should be run. And it's interesting for me to hear other perspectives that um, I don't hear every day because they're not in my, my general circle of influence. So anyway, that, that's basically going to wrap up the show. Next week, we will talk culinary competitions. Um, I'm excited about that one. I'm actually, um, and, I'll, and I'll save this for the next episode, but I'm tomorrow, I'm going to go talk to two people that are very much involved in competitions to pick their brain before I record next week's podcast. So come back next week. You'll enjoy that one. If you want to support the show, go subscribe on Spotify or Apple or whatever you're listening to this on. Make sure you leave five stars. This is a five-star podcast. Um, go get the books, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, Line Cook Survival Manual, and How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. If you want continuing education, uh, look for the Culinary Leadership Fundamentals video. You can find all of this on chefspsa.com. You can also look at the merch on there. There's a there's a shirt that I put up that's Happy Chef. It's Honestly, it's one of my favorite sh uh, shirts that I've made. Um, it's simple, but I, I think it's funny. Anyway, go do that. Thank you all for listening. Um, if there's something that you want me to touch on next week, please drop me a DM or in the comments and hit the porno music. See you next week.